Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Oh, get ready. Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. I'm Jason Longshore. Welcome to our weekly show here on The Game, where we cover soccer in Atlanta, in the state of Georgia, in the southeast, all over the country, all over the world. If we could find it on another planet, we'd probably talk about it. That's what we do. Tonight, we are coming to you live from Oglethorpe University, the site of a big game in NCAA D3, the oldest men's soccer rivalry in the state of Georgia, Oglethorpe and Emory. It finished 2-2. And since we had a full production today on the Oglethorpe Sports Network, I've drafted in my old friend John Nelson to hang out for some AST tonight. What's up, John? It was fun, and I will admit, I've watched it and I've listened to the rivalry in the past, but this is the first time that I've sampled it in, per- in person, and it definitely did live up to the expectations. Yeah, that's the thing that, that I think we have tried to do you know, throughout the years on soccer down here, but we do it on Atlanta soccer tonight as well. Of course, we're going to talk about Atlanta United, and we've got a lot to talk about with a crazy week last week with everything that happened in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and then everything that happened against Columbus. We're going to talk about that. That's what we do. But, and I I think tonight was a prime example of how much else happens in soccer in Atlanta and and how much else there is to consume and how much fun it is. Uh, Liz Colker was with us today. uh, One of the best photographers for soccer in, in Atlanta. And she was talking about just how fun the game was, how good it was. It was really competitive. And yes, it's NCAA D3. It's uh, non-scholarship. But these were two teams that had a number of D1 transfers. These were two teams with a number of local products. Local players who were developed in the local youth clubs played high school here. Two very talented teams. Emory came in number three in the country. Yeah, Oglethorpe didn't even receive votes, which is kind of messed up. Yes, uh, That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> but this was a game that one, it was a great crowd. It's not a big facility here in Brookhaven, but it was packed. There were people standing all around. Um, it was an awesome atmosphere. And I just, I beg of people who love Atlanta United games, 
get out and support these kinds of things too because you will get fun and enjoyment and you're going to see some really good soccer out of it just under 500 here tonight that was the yeah. announced attendance and that's squeezed in here i mean the the bleachers what maybe 300 maybe yeah. if that yeah there were people standing as far as i could see down the corner hovering on the fence line yeah and those are the kind of environments that you really like to be a part in you know as as you and i were doing the the media side of the broadcast we kind of got to see everybody hanging on the on the fence line and those are the kind of environments that you know are going to be electric. You've got youth clubs that were here yep. watching the the match tonight and getting the sample for Oglethorpe and Emory. You had emeroids coming over here to be a part That's of That's what they're called? That's what they're called. I did not know that. Emeroids. Oh boy, I'm glad yep. I didn't know that on the call. I might have gotten myself in trouble. You had you had uh, folks who either are supporters of the Emory Eagles or those who are graduates yep. or what have you, literally emeroids. Wow. And uh, you had obviously you had the Oglethorpe student body that was here as well. And so it was a great cross section of representation of the sport for both schools and for that next generation that gets to sample arrival. I mean, literally, when we talked to John Aiken, the head coach of Oglethorpe, look, game you can get in for free. Yep. You know, literally, you walk up, hey, I want to come see the match. Okay, come on in. And that's the kind of party atmosphere that you end up with here. You get to share. And then once again, you leave after an experience from tonight. You get to tell somebody else, hey, last night or a couple nights ago, I was at I was at Oglethorpe and they played Emory and it was a great environment. So that way you get to continue to spread the word about rivalries and about the game that you might not necessarily have had going into a conversation. Yeah. And you had players that, you know, if you followed Atlanta United specifically, there was an Atlanta United Academy product on the field tonight for Emory, Thomas Tony, who played four years at Yale before coming <laughs> back to Emory. Um Emory getting ready to play Carnegie Mellon on Saturday over on campus at Emory. That's one to check out Saturday afternoon. Oglethorpe will be on the road for two games. Both are trying to win their conferences. Winning your conference tournament gets you into the NCAA D3 tournament. And they might be matched up again when we get to that point. These are two teams that have played each other. I don't know if it's every single year. Some of the record keeping back in the day was not the best. But They've played each other regularly since 1961. Oglethorpe was the second men's program in the state. Emory was the first that launched in 58. And I don't think it's ever been better than it is now. And, and we had the chance to talk to uh, Oglethorpe legend Ryan Marcano, yes. who was hanging out with us on pregame and postgame. And, you know, Ryan was looking at it and he's like, man, this, this Oglethorpe team is better than the teams I was on that were very good. And the Emory team, maybe one of their best teams ever. And it was a matchup that had two very different styles of play, two very defined styles of play. And, and that's something we talk about a lot, identity. Two coaches and Corey Griner and John Aiken, who both are committed to the way they want their teams to play. Both teams played in that manner, stayed true to their identities. And both teams found weaknesses in the opposition, exploited them. And both teams rebounded when they got exploited and found a way to get something out of the game. It was just one of those games that was back and forth and back and forth and lots of little adjustments, really well played, lots of intensity, but it never crossed over that line. Right. Uh, no red cards, a few yellow cards, Three, but nothing, yeah. nothing crazy. It was such a good display for soccer in Atlanta and in the region tonight. And I'm just telling everybody out there, make sure that you see these teams when you get a chance. And... Oglethorpe's season does not end with this two-game road trip. They come back yep. 
for one final game in the regular season, and it's against Barry. And that's another rivalry. I've been here, and I've yes. called Oglethorpe-Barry games. You've called Oglethorpe-Barry games. If it's regular season, if it's <laughs> tournament, if both teams are out of everything, it doesn't matter. No. That's another one to check out. And that's going to be a very fun one to be part of. That's going to be on the same day as Decision Day for Atlanta United. Uh, our friend Mateen Rod is going to call that game for the Oglethorpe Sports Network. But if you're looking for something that afternoon, the women play before that as well. And Oglethorpe's women team has dramatically improved this year. They're competitive in the SAA. Just good local soccer to check out. And a place for, if you're a parent, if you're a friend of parents and you've got kids who are trying to figure out what that next step is, and if it's not professional yet, don't discount the D3 programs locally because there's a lot of talent here and talent that can move up to a D1, right. but play straight away here. Or if you go D1 and you're not playing, come here and play. And we've seen both for both of these schools. Yeah, and I mean, even if you follow other sports, like college football, say, as an example, and you're attached to the the power five schools these days when it comes to recruiting you get a lot of the the group of five schools that will sit there and say hey look do you want to come here play immediately and get a spot and you're ready to go and your college career is off and running you're seeing the same thing now with opportunities when it comes to lower divisions with you know division two division three nai do you want to sit on a bench on a Division One program, or do you want to play now and really show what your value can be to a program? You're having these opportunities here with uh, locally the D3 programs. Yeah, and and honestly, others, and we'll talk about it in, in the 343 as well. And, you know, we're in a really lucky time to be involved in soccer in Atlanta. And it, it's something that has really started to hit home with me. And I think a lot of people have seen recently the announcement we're doing a, a history in Atlanta history of Atlanta soccer podcast with Atlanta United and digging back into some of it that I knew and I'm learning a lot of things as well we're in a really lucky time to be involved in this not just because of the World Cup coming up and hopefully Copa America next summer and maybe Club World Cup in 25 and a Women's World Cup maybe in 27 and all that stuff could happen here we know some of it will but just because of everything that has led to this point it's not just Atlanta United and a World Cup coming. It is the growth of the, the college game. It's the growth of the high school game that we talk about a lot. It's the clubs. It's the level of player that is being produced here. The scene is thriving. Even beyond that, just the fan scene. I mean, you've got so many different places you can go watch games. There are so many different supporters groups here locally. It's, it's a really cool time to be talking about soccer and if you're a fan or if you're a player or if your kids play it is a great time to be involved yeah and i mean we talk about the the lower divisions here in the united states with what's going on in statesboro yeah. south georgia tormenta and they're in a a do or die scenario in the last week of the regular season and, and there are folks that are just locked into what's going on with what we're seeing from tormenta as they're trying to defend a championship in a lower division so i mean it's it's really fun because no matter where you turn, there's always a different level and a different opportunity to appreciate the growth of the game here in the South and here in the state of Georgia. Yeah, it's it's just at a different level. And I feel like in these past couple of years, it has really jumped a couple of levels. You know, having a chance to see Oglethorpe since 2018 and calling games, the level of play has improved dramatically. 
calling high school state championship games like we've done. The level of play has improved dramatically over the past couple of years. And there's just more opportunities for players. And look, every player has a different pathway. Some might be straight away to pro. And this is on the men's and the women's side. There's going to be more female professional opportunities in this region very quickly with the USL Women's Leagues launching. Mm -hmm. The NWSL continues to grow. But it might be pro straight away. It might be college. It might be college D1. It might be JUCO. It might be NAIA. It might be D3, D2. There are so many pathways now. And I think back, and I was trying to explain this to somebody as a kid growing up when I did. I graduated high school in 95. That was a year before MLS started. We didn't have the level of player development at that time if you lived where I lived on the south side of Atlanta. And if you had the amount of money that my parents had, <laughs> um, I couldn't get to the north side to play at an elite club. I didn't have that opportunity. So like, I had a very short pathway to play at a high level and professional wasn't anything that I even thought about. Kids today can think about that, but can also think about how they get there. And it might not lead them to a long professional career, but it might lead them to a career in the game because of all of these opportunities. So just, I know it's easy and it's what we do and we get cynical and we get frustrated and we yell about referees and don't worry, we're gonna do we're that gonna in the next segment. About, yeah. But it's such a good time to be involved in it. And there's so many good things going on in it. Even the refereeing was great tonight. I have to give a big shout out to the referee crew tonight yep. because it was a game that could have bubbled over at times. The referee crew was great. I wish I could say that about every game that I've been part of <laughs> yes. over the past week. Unfortunately, I cannot. And that's something we'll talk about in the next segment. We'll get back to Atlanta United when we come back from break. We're going to talk about what happened in the last week for Atlanta United, where they stand going into decision day, and kind of looking around the Eastern Conference a little bit about teams you might want to see in the playoffs and teams you might not want to see in the playoffs. We'll be back with more Atlanta soccer tonight, live from Oglethorpe University, right after this on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Welcome back, Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app, live from Oglethorpe University tonight in Brookhaven. The Stormy Petrels jumped out to a two-goal lead on Emory. The Eagles fought back to finish 2-2. Both teams had chances to win. This has got to get Oglethorpe into the national rankings, right, John Nelson? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Whatever you just said, I don't know what language that was, but we'll just roll with it. Yes. That's what happens on AST when John Nelson <laughs> crashes the party. I'm Jason Longshore, if you didn't know already. We haven't talked Atlanta United much yet. I alluded to uh, some consternation that I had with certain referees in Philadelphia. I mean, we can sit here and kill a whole segment on it. I don't want to do that, but I think it does make what I said going into the week, and I said this last week on, on AST, I said it was a defining week for Atlanta United. I don't know if I got any definition because of what happened in Philadelphia on Wednesday. And I don't think we can just gloss over the issues because they're multiple. Um, a situation we saw tonight, I don't know if you heard my commentary on it, but there was a free kick that was played quickly and the referee was engaged in a conversation with a, a player on the defending team. And what did the referee do tonight in our NCAA match between Oglethorpe and Emory? He made them take the kick again. Yep. Hmm. 
that gave me some bad PTSD to what happened in Philadelphia's <laughs> yeah. first goal. Yeah. Uh, because it was very clear there was there was conversation. Could Atlanta have handled it better? Yes, they could have handled it better. Still doesn't excuse that it was played when the referee's in conversation with multiple players. That was 15 minutes or so after a penalty shout that did get reviewed that we were told after the match by Alex Chilowitz when he replied to Jonathan Tannewald of the Philadelphia Inquirer that he said Nathan Harriel's arm was not in an unnatural position. We've all seen the video. We've all seen the stills. I don't know how that is justified. I got nothing. What I don't know, and I don't know when we're going to get an answer, if we're going to get an answer, because MLS and Pro are a week, a match. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app, live from Oglethorpe University tonight in Brookhaven. The Stormy Petrels jumped out to a two-goal lead on Emory. The Eagles fought back to finish 2-2. Both teams had chances to win. This has got to get Oglethorpe into the national rankings, right, John Nelson? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Whatever you just said, I don't know what language that was, but we'll just roll with it. Yes. That's what happens on AST when John Nelson crashes the party. <laughs> I'm Jason Longshore, if you didn't know already. We haven't talked Atlanta United much yet. I alluded to uh, some consternation that I had with certain referees in Philadelphia. I mean, we could sit here and kill a whole segment on it. I don't want to do that. But I think it does make what I said going into the week, and I said this last week on, on AST, I said it was a defining week for Atlanta United. I don't know if I got any definition because of what happened in Philadelphia on Wednesday. And I don't think we can just gloss over the issues because they're multiple. Um, a situation we saw tonight, I don't know if you heard my commentary on it, but there was a free kick that was played quickly and the referee was engaged in a conversation with a, a player on the defending team. And what did the referee do tonight in our NCAA match between Oglethorpe and Emory? He made them take the kick again. Yep. Hmm, that gave me some bad PTSD to what happened in Philadelphia's <laughs> yeah. first goal. Yeah. Uh, because it was very clear there was there was conversation. Could Atlanta have handled it better? Yes, they could have handled it better. Still doesn't excuse that it was played when the referee's in conversation with multiple players. That was 15 minutes or so after a penalty shout that did get reviewed that we were told after the match by Alex Chilowitz when he replied to Jonathan Tannewald of the Philadelphia Inquirer that he said Nathan Harriel's arm was not in an unnatural position. We've all seen the video. We've all seen the stills. I don't know how that is justified. I got nothing. What I don't know, and I don't know when we're going to get an answer, if we're going to get an answer, because MLS and Pro are a week, a match day behind in terms of their reporting on these situations. Did it get sent down by Daniel Radford or was it requested to be sent down? And Alex Chilowitz said, no, I don't want to see it. I saw it live. I'm good. Or did Radford not recommend an on-field review? I don't know who to be angry with, but I think you have to be angry in a situation because that handball is called 99.99% of the time. And you, you look back at that, at that situation and what I always try to caution folks is we don't know what we don't know. And until we get all of the information, I always want to sit there and take 
consternation, anger, directed anger. Put it to the side for a second. You can be you can be angry at an event because something wasn't called, but we don't have all the information attached to that particular yep. event. So we don't know where to direct all of the vitriol. Yep. And traditionally, disappointingly so, we get what we refer to as a news dump when the the video and the explanation comes at a moment when, oh, you're not looking. And then all of a sudden it yeah. gets magically released. And I think that that is something that I would like to see changed, although I know that it won't. And I'm not holding my breath about the idea of a news dump. So well, now, look, you're a, you're a big fan of the Prem, the Premier League <laughs> in England. And when we get into what Howard Webb has done, look, he was here first. Mm hmm. And then he went there. Yeah. And he's had a lot to deal with with their referees as well. Yes, so yeah. it's not a purely an MLS thing. No. But because maybe because of the way the game is covered, maybe because of the level of coverage, I don't know. They've had to be very quick and very out front. Yes. Of this was a mistake. This shouldn't have happened. This needs to be done differently. This referee is not working this weekend. I don't like to see people lose out on paychecks, but. You have to in these situations. If you're going to have better refereeing, one, we got to know about it. It's got to be clear. It's got to be talked about. And if a mistake is made, it's got to get corrected. Can't go back and replay the game, but you can't have that referee work that weekend. Right. And even on a short turn, I know logistics are a pain. Chilowitz was a fourth official. Radford was a VAR on the weekend after the Wednesday game. I don't know who made the bigger biggest mistake there. But the fact that they both worked a few days later is very frustrating because it's a mistake. And I don't think it can be justified that it wasn't. And yes, we can talk about Atlanta United defensively, and we will. But that's a 15th minute penalty that we don't know if it would have been put in the back of the net. And we don't know what would have happened in that game. Everything would have been different. And I know you don't want to sit here and just blame referees all the time. But that is a massive mistake. That's not a little mistake, like giving Brooks Lennon a, on a, a yellow card on a foul that he didn't even touch the player and he got the ball. That's a little mistake. Those things add up. Players get yellow card accumulation. Brooks Lennon's a diver, by the way, now. Yes, he's also a diver, according to some people, even though that was finally, eventually, we were told that it, that was incorrect. <sighs> I digress. Um, look, the game would have been different. We don't know. I've said my piece on it. I think everybody has. Uh, it affected that game. The fight back was great, even with that mistake, even with the mistake on the way the, the free kick was handled that gave Philadelphia their first goal. Atlanta can't concede two after that in the manner that they did. They lost their heads. I think they were tested in a way that is very hard to deal with, but they lost their heads and they lost their focus, and ultimately that wasted an incredible second-half comeback. Yeah, and you know we always focus on the idea of transparency when it comes to information yep and i think in these situations and yes uh, you mentioned that we're a cycle behind when it comes to information <laughs> yeah. and all of that but i think it would behoove an organization that is being questioned as much as it is to try and get out and be proactive in an explanation instead of being continually reactive or even dismissive when it comes to letting information out, it's like, I think we all want to be better educated on the process. We all want yes, to know what's please. going on. 
on a bunch of different things when it comes to Major League Soccer, but yep. specifically we're discussing officials and calls and that. I think that what you would like to have happen is you want a level of transparency, you want a level of explanation, and you'd like it in a time frame where we're not sitting here six days after the fact and we're still lacking all of the information I think that we need that's a part of this process so we can sit there and get all of our information and move on. Yeah, it, it's frustrating. And it was obvious that it was very frustrating to Gonzalo Pineda and his post-match comments. And I don't have a problem with anything that he said. We have not heard of any fine. No. Um, again, six, they're Six and behind. a half minutes of post-match. Yeah. Now, look, they have made disciplinary committee rulings on games from the weekend. I don't know how you don't find Gonzalo Pineda after the comments that he made. I also have no problem with the comments that he made. No. I think it had to be done at that point. We'll see if anything comes of that. Uh, let's get to the Columbus game, sure. and, and then let's get to what's what we're looking at ahead on Atlanta soccer tonight. John Nelson sitting in with me, Jason Longshore. Columbus, I thought it was a really well-played game between two very, very good teams. Columbus was better. Not by a large margin, but they were the better team on the night. Right. I thought the opening 20 to 25 minutes was very back and forth, maybe slightly tilted to Atlanta. The rest of the first half was Columbus. The first part of the second half, honestly, until right before the goal, was Columbus. I thought it started to get back to 50-50 with Edwin Mosquera's inclusion into the match. Yeah. Then Columbus scored like very slightly against the run of play at that moment. And after that, it was all Atlanta. Thought they were going to run out of time, but there's never going to be that moment with this Atlanta United team where they find the goal very, very late. The time wasted on the substitution in stoppage time was added back on again, unlike Alex Chilowitz did in Philadelphia. But again, I digress. I'm Ismail not going to keep Elfath talking about it. A part of this discussion, Elfath managed the game very well, and he gave the extra time for that free kick. And Tiago Almada puts it up for Miles Robinson to go up and get. What did you learn about Atlanta United in that match? And if you want to include the Philadelphia one, what have you learned about this team over the past week? Well, that that there's that we continue to be reinforced on the notion that there is no quit. Yeah. And it's a point that Gonzalo Pinedo will continue to make every opportunity that he can. It's not a generic coach speak thing either. No. And sometimes it is. And you you talk to coaches all over the state all the time in high school football. And look, that's something that gets thrown around. We don't quit. We fight till the final whistle. It's something that we say. This team has showed that it's it's real life with this Atlanta United team in 2023. No doubt. And, and to see Brad Gazan, who almost, you know, Brad Gazan's <laughs> at the near post for this header. Positional gravity, Brad Gazan in the 18. Yeah, and once again, I mean, Aiden Morris mistimes his jump by just the slightest yep. amount. Miles gets that extra, you know, gets that extra floor on the elevator and he heads it down and gets it past Schulte. Schulte, by the way, he had moments to to where he was keeping stuff out of the net for Columbus. And yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he responds to a postseason as a as a number one keeper yep. at Columbus going forward. Well, let's take it to that to finish out this segment. So Atlanta United will be in the first round of the playoffs, not the wild card round. They'll be in the first round. They're going to be in a best of three. They're not going to be in the top four, so they're not going to have home field advantage. You're looking at the possibility of playing not Cincinnati in that first round, right. but the possibility of potentially playing Orlando, Philadelphia, Columbus, maybe New England. Yeah. Which one of those teams do you not want to see in that best of three? Orlando. Really? For, for me, it's Columbus. Honestly, I, I think Columbus is the best team of that group. Okay. Orlando, I'm not 100% sure that I can trust them in this moment yet. 
Philadelphia, I don't trust in this moment. I think we've seen a different Philadelphia team this year than last. Uh, they're not easy to deal with, obviously, but in the two games we've seen against Philadelphia, I like Atlanta's chances. Orlando's very, very good. Orlando is a team that would be next on that list for me. Um, New England is the team you want to see, obviously, obviously. if they get up there, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Philadelphia, I'll take my chances in a best of three, even with them having home field. Columbus would worry me. Orlando, because of the rivalry, look, maybe it just becomes a total 50-50 fight. I don't know. I think that we've seen Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia can be had. I think New England can be had. I think Columbus, we've seen in a 50-50 game that Atlanta United can take care of business against Columbus. We've seen that. That's why I think that Orlando, for me, this is a team that is unlike Oscar Pereja in years past, where we you see that slow fade with Pereja as the season goes along and it becomes more pragmatic with a negative tilt for that word. Yep. We're not seeing that this year with this Orlando team. That's why I said that. John, thanks for hanging out with me on AST for a couple of segments. Thanks for inviting me. Nice. What happens when we're here in Brookhaven at Oglethorpe University? 2-2 between the Stormy Petrels and the Eagles tonight. Coming up after this, you know how the show ends every time. It's the 3-4-3. Three local stories, four headlines, three things that make me smile about this game. We'll be back in five minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Is where I'm hanging out tonight. Finished calling Oglethorpe and Emory, the longest-serving soccer rivalry in the state of Georgia. Started 1961. And, of course, they finished 2-2 tonight in a really good match between two of the best D3 men's soccer teams in the country. Let's get into the local stuff. It's the 3-4-3. You know how this goes. It starts with three local stories, then headlines, then three things that make me smile about this game that I love so much. I'm going to start with local college updates. Not just the match here between Oglethorpe and Emory. Not the only rivalry this week. Georgia State and Georgia Southern. Kind of lucky the way that it worked out this way because the women's teams were supposed to meet in the conference opener a few weeks ago. That got delayed due to weather. So tomorrow night, Georgia State's women travel down to Statesboro to face the Georgia Southern Eagles before the men travel up to Atlanta for a Friday night match at the GSU Soccer Complex. Both games are on ESPN+. Georgia State's women have had a really good year this year. They had a scoreless draw on Sunday against Arkansas State. Georgia Southern's women have bounced back. They're on a little bit of a run after a slow start in Sunbelt play. On the men's side, Georgia State's men, Georgia Southern's men, they're really getting tested by the Sun Belt. Three of the top five teams in the country on the men's side are in the Sun Belt, and that schedule is brutal at times. This match is always brutal between the Panthers and the Eagles. The women play on Wednesday night. The men play on Friday night. Enjoy both of them on ESPN+. I'll be down at Mercer in Macon on Thursday for their huge women's SOCON match with Samford. Two very physical teams. A lot of goals been, have been scored by Mercer this season. They have two of the leading scorers in the country on the women's side. Sophomore Jada Mormon, freshman Larkin Thomason. I'll be on the call for that match on ESPN Plus with Jessica Charman on Thursday night. Sarah Bambrick of Reinhardt continuing with the college updates. She is the Appalachian Athletic Conference Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week, the league announced on Monday. The junior from England, 10 saves in the week, two clean sheets, 1-0-1 for Reinhardt. It was a scoreless draw against Truett McConnell and a 2-0 win over Milligan. But congrats to Sarah Bambrick of Reinhardt for being the Conference Defensive Player of the Week. And Clayton State, 
their men's team up to number six in the D2 national rankings. That's a team to watch. We talked D3 today with Oglethorpe and Emory. Emory came into the match ranked number three. Clayton State up to number six in the men's rankings. Number two on the local headlines, multiple Atlanta United Academy players and products called up for U.S. Youth National Team duty recently. Aiden Torres and Sean Lanzo both played with Atlanta United to this season. They joined the U-17 camp recently, getting ready for a World Cup in that age group. Rocket Rita Rita, Jaden Moore, Dominic Chong-Kui, they were called up for a U-16 camp. Uh, those of you who have watched Atlanta United too, you've seen Rocket Rita Rita so far. Dominic Chong-Kui and Jaden Moore are two players to keep an eye on. Chong-Kui trained with the twos late in the season. I think he's going to get games for Atlanta United 2 in 2024 at 16, 17 years old. Keep an eye on him at left back. Speaking of left backs, Caleb Wiley. He's going to be part of the U23 national team as they start preparations for next summer's Olympics. They'll play two games over this international breakout in Arizona. They'll play Mexico and Japan. Noah Cobb was also called up for a youth national team training camp at the U19 age group. Number three on the local side, we'll go down to Statesboro, Tormenta. They need a little bit of help to get into the USL League One playoffs. Decision day in USL League One, Saturday, 7 o'clock. It's down to Tormenta and forward Madison. If forward Madison wins or Tormenta loses or draws, then it's the Flamingos who get into the final playoff spot in League One. Tormenta has to win and Madison has to not win for South Georgia Tormenta to get back to the playoffs and defend their USL League One championship. Let's get into headlines from around the world. Number one, it's an international break. I know some people don't like this time of the year. There's too many international breaks. I've talked about this before. That's got to be drilled down some. But this international break's an interesting one because we're kind of in this overlap time. You've got World Cup qualifiers in South America, the start of the Asian World Cup qualifiers. You have UEFA Nations League. You have CONCACAF Nations League. But you also have some friendlies as well. And the U.S. men's national team, it's a really interesting time for the Yanks. You got two games, and it's a better level of competition, in my opinion, in this window than it was last time out. The U.S. will play Germany in Connecticut on Saturday afternoon. That'll be followed by a quick turn going down to Nashville to play Ghana on Tuesday. Better level of competition. Better tests, I think we'll learn a little bit more about this group right now. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of lineups we get out of Greg Berhalter. Gio Reyna is in the group, and I know that's been quite the soap opera controversy over, I don't know, the past year, it seems like. But Gio Reyna is coming back from injury. He has not played for Borussia Dortmund. I don't know if he plays for the U.S. men's national team in these games, but being part of the group and being around Burhalter is a good thing for the long-term success. Miles Robinson called up for these games. I think we'll see him in at least one of them. And look, with where decision day falls in Atlanta United not having a chance to get into the top four, I don't know if it really matters which game that Robinson plays or doesn't play. Ideally, you would say he doesn't play on the Tuesday game against Ghana, so he has a full week to recover from the Germany game, which would be a normal week schedule for him. If he doesn't play against Cincinnati on decision day, it's not the end of the world because that game 
We don't know what it's going to mean yet until we get into the midweek games next week in MLS. And there are a few, and we'll have a better definition of where Atlanta United can get to in the Eastern Conference playoffs at that point. We'll talk about that next week on AST. Number two on the headlines, Eden Hazard. He announced his retirement this morning. Uh, He was last with Real Madrid when his contract ran out in June. It was not renewed. He had some potential offers for MLS and and maybe a few other places. Uh, Didn't take them. Decided to announce his retirement this morning. And look, I, I know there's some unfulfilled potential there. And there's a lot of jokes about Eden Hazard and and what he did or didn't do and didn't live up to. But I want to share this from Thierry Henry, who was part of the Belgium staff and worked with Hazard uh, with the national team. Thierry Henry said his favorite player of the last few years was Eden Hazard. And the quote is, it was just wow. And he's such an instinctive player. He said, the only thing that you have to do is give him guidance in the zones where he's going to receive the ball and he can then express himself. In the structure, he does what he wants. Terry Henry, who was a pretty amazing player himself, said, how many times have I sat on the bench and thought, what on earth is he doing? Oh, amazing. Um, he said, you can't control instinct. You can give instructions, but you can't control instinct. Eden Hazard is one of the most instinctive players that we've seen in a long time. He was a special player, an incredibly special player. I wish he hadn't had some of the injuries that he did over the past couple of years. I wish we could have seen more. Because when those kinds of players leave the field for the final time, it's a sad day. And Eden Hazard announcing his retirement today is a sad day for anybody who loves that kind of skillful, expressive, creative player. Number three on the headlines, Manchester City. They have lost back-to-back games in the Premier League for the first time in a long time. 2018 was the last time that Manchester City lost back-to-back league games. This was also this win for Arsenal over the weekend. It was the first time Arsenal had beaten City after 12 league games without a win. That is a long time for the Gunners to not get one over on City. Is there a problem with City? Is it just that lull that teams who win everything you can win the previous year hit? Is it some of the missing pieces from that team that won everything that you could win last year? Is that the issue for City? Is it you know, just a motivation issue. Is it a, we'll turn we'll turn the switch on, we'll flip the switch, we'll be better later. Is it one of those deals? I don't know yet. I don't think it's anything to really worry about. Um, Manchester City has been the best team that we have ever seen in the Premier League over this much time under Pep Guardiola. The amount of titles, the level of play, the amount of points. I mean, you can get into any metric you want. And no matter what the tabloids will tell you, this has been the best run we've ever seen in the English First Division in the top flight. Is it coming to an end? I'm not so sure of that yet. But this is the challenging part for a manager when you've won and you've won a lot and you've had a year like they had last year with the treble. How do you top that? How do you follow that up? We're going to really get to see Pep Guardiola manage a team the rest of the way. I can't wait to see what they look like after the international break, but maybe more importantly, how they look after that, because you're going to get guys back on a short turn from the international break. I want to see what he does with this team to respond to -to back-to-back losses for the first time in a long time. Let's stay on the coaching side for number four on the headlines. Two new MLS coaching exits in the past week since our last AST. Wayne Rooney and DC United, they decided to part ways after the club failed to make the playoffs. Yes, they are above the line currently, but they've played their last game. They have the bye on decision day. So two of the teams that are level with them on points play one another. 
that guarantees that somebody is going to pass DC United and they are not going to go to the postseason. Wayne Rooney and the club had a mutual option. They both mutually agreed to part ways. Looks like Wayne Rooney is going to take over at Birmingham City in the English Championship. Minnesota, I was a little surprised by this. They fired Adrian Heath, the only manager that the Loons have ever had. Then the team goes out and demolishes the LA Galaxy to keep their playoff hopes alive going into decision day. I didn't think you'd get a reaction from the team. Obviously, club got it right. And now they have a chance to get into the postseason. Now, other coaching updates, just to give you the landscape of the MLS coaching carousel, because it's always spinning and it's always out of control. We know, according to new sporting director in Austin, Rodolfo Borrell, that Josh Wolf is staying. I thought he was on the hot seat in Austin after they failed to make the playoffs. He is going to stay. How long is the leash for Josh Wolf in Austin in 2024? Don't forget, Borrell talked about it when he took the job in Austin. One of the reasons he said he took the job was the style of play that Josh Wolf had implemented. He liked it. It fit his vision for the game. He wanted to work with Wolf. Now he's going to get to work with Wolf to maybe deconstruct and then reconstruct this roster in Austin. Possible decisions have to be made in Los Angeles with the Galaxy. Does Greg Vanny keep his job after they fail to make the playoffs? NYC, they still have a shot to get to the postseason. Has Nick Cushing done enough to stay in charge there? I don't know in either case, honestly. The reason why I think those two clubs come up is these are two of the biggest clubs profile-wise in the league. So when they don't make the playoffs or they struggle to get in, you're going to have this talk about what's next. It's a hot seat. For sure, it's a hot seat for those two. I don't know if they stay or go. We've seen more changes in MLS on the coaching side this year than ever before, and there might be more. Another one to keep an eye on is Orlando. Oscar Pereja and two key members of that front office they're out of contract at the end of this year. Do they stay? Do they go test the waters and look at some of these different teams that are looking for new managers and maybe new front office people? Or do they stay in Orlando and continue to build? Maybe this postseason will tell you what they decide to do. If Orlando goes on a run or if they get really close and come up short and it feels like there's unfinished business, maybe they stay. Maybe if they don't go, if it doesn't go well, they go. We're going to find out pretty soon when Orlando's year is done, what happens with Oscar Pereja. The reason why that's important is teams that will need new managers in 2024 or need to hire their interim managers. You're talking about Colorado Rapids. I don't know what their level of ambition is. New England, we know they have ambition. New York Red Bulls, I think they have ambition, but I'm not sure. Chicago should absolutely have ambition, and this is a big hire for Joe Mansueto, the new owner. Portland, we know they have ambition. They might keep Miles Joseph if he gets them into the postseason. And there's another one in San Diego. Remember, they start in 2025. That could be a very interesting landing spot for an Oscar Pereja if he wants to go build a team from scratch. Does Phil Neville get back into the game? He's been linked with interviews. Robin Frazier has been talked about for interviews. I, I think an assistant job is the best fit for Frazier, but maybe he gets that opportunity. If Pereja's on the market, things get really, really interesting on this MLS coaching carousel. Now to finish out the 3-4-3 and to finish out AST for tonight, three things that make me smile about the game that I love so much. And I'm going to start with number one. I mentioned it earlier. 
the joy of a beautiful scoreless draw, like the one that I had between Georgia State and Arkansas State on Sunday afternoon. Both teams had chances to win. Georgia State dominated possession. They dominated the shot count. They weren't able to find the opening. Uh, great defensive plays in moments. Uh, ball cleared off the line by a freshman center back for Arkansas State. But even in a game like that where you have everything going one way, Arkansas State had a great opportunity very late to win it. And Jada Foos, the goalkeeper for Georgia State, made an incredible 1v1 play, uh, bravely coming out at the feet of an attacker. Attacker goes flying. It's a clean tackle, and it was a heavy collision. But Foos saved Georgia State on the day, and it finished scoreless. But it was such a good game to call and such a good game to watch. Number two, the joy of a crazy comeback, like the Atlanta United comeback on Saturday night. I said it on the full-time report. I'll say it again. Don't ever think about leaving early from an Atlanta United game in 2023. This team does not know how to quit until the final whistle. They've scored 21 goals after the 75th minute. That's an obscene number. This team always fights. And Gonzalo Pineda said it after the game in Philly, and I totally agree. That is the hallmark of a, he said it after the Columbus game as well. That is the hallmark of a championship team. The way that they fight. This team has that. They've got to be better defensively. They can't lose their heads when things go against them like it did in that game on Wednesday. But this is a team that has the fight of a championship team. We'll see if they can get there. And number three on things that make me smile, a game like tonight. This was a really combative 2-2 game between Oglethorpe and Emory. Two of the best teams in the country at this level, NCAA D3. Lots of local talent on display. Tons of local clubs represented on the field on these rosters. Really good tactical battle between Oglethorpe, who wanted the ball and their 4-3-3 against Emory and their physical 3-5-2 and their directness. Both teams had areas of their tactical setup exploited. Both teams were able to rebound. Both teams showed fight. Both teams showed comebacks. Both teams showed quality. And I think it's both teams that we're going to see deep in the NCAA tournament. I can't wait to see Oglethorpe and Emory play again. And hopefully you guys will come out to some of these games as well. Thank you for hanging out with me tonight. Thanks again to John Nelson for hanging out with me for the first couple of segments. Tomorrow, stoppage time, 2 p.m. on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page. AST, back with you next Tuesday as we get ready for MLS Decision Day. Adios, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.